0: Mahatma Gandhi said, be the change that you wish to see in the world. Today's Afro's Knives podcast guests are excellent examples of this idea. Welcome to episode six. I am your host, Chef Tiffany. This week's conversation is with chef and owner of Evelyn's Food Love in Chicago, Evelyn Shelton, and founder of Black Food and Beverage, Angela Burke. We talk about the importance of ownership, and community, and how sometimes we have to be the creators of the solutions to the problems that we see.
1: My name is Angela Burke, and I'm the creator of Black Food and Beverage. It's a site that tells the stories of Black folks in the food and beverage industry. Um, prior to creating that site, I was and am a food marketer. So I spent about 15 years or so working with different food brands, restaurants, chefs, things like that, helping them with their marketing and PR. But um, I'm transitioning now. I'm kind of at an interesting point in my life where I'm shifting more into the storytelling side of it. So basically more of what I'm doing at Black Food and Beverage.
2: And I am uh, Chef Evelyn Shelton. I own Evelyn's Food Love Cafe in Chicago. Uh, It is a cozy little cafe on the south side of the city where we have a changing menu. I've been in culinary for, for a really long time. So I don't even know the exact number of years anymore. Because even when I worked in corporate America, I also cooked and did some catering and personal chefing on the side. So, uh, so it's been a lot of years. Um, it's been about 10 or 12 years since I finished culinary school and left, uh, corporate America altogether. Uh, went to culinary school. Worked in several culinary positions, including chef trainer, chef manager. Um, I worked as an executive chef with uh, the Morrison Division of Compass Group. Compass is the largest food service management company in the world. And uh, eventually became a food service director. Uh, So I had the culinary piece of it uh, front of the house and the back of the house always wanted to open a restaurant. I thought it would be something a little different than what I actually opened. Uh, but I did get it open, and we've been open about two years, a little bit over two years now, and uh, doing pretty, pretty well. So we're located on 55th and State Street in Chicago, but we also have a presence inside of McCormick Place, which is the largest convention center in North America, and uh, we're hoping to expand even more this year.
0: How did the relationship between the two of you develop? Like, how did you cross paths, and what kind of work have you done together? Um, and uh, speak a little bit about where your relationship will likely go in the future. Well, it
1: started with Black FMB. Um, so the first round of BFB launched in 2018. The winter of 2018, and at that time, I heard of Evelyn, and I was aware of her restaurant and the work she was doing. I believe I first heard heard of her from Corsia's uh, podcast, and so <laughs> and uh, Hungry Society, and so I was extremely interested in her whole story and just the way her her entire strategy. For building her restaurant. So, um, I reached out to her, but you know, my email was sent to her junk box. I think so. She (laughs) didn't even know that I emailed her for the first round. Anyways, we happened to have connected at a different event and I was able to get her on the second round of black food and beverage, which lucky me. Um, so we had just a wonderful conversation that was, um, probably geez when was that earlier this year my dates are all off but probably in the winter of this year that I did the interview with her and um when you sit down and talk with Evelyn you really just one you feel like you're instantly at ease because she's such a genuine person but two you're just you want to take notes basically because she's just of so much wisdom about the industry. And she's a veteran, so she's just seen it all, done it all. Um, so it's just very interesting to speak with her. Um, so moving forward, I mean, I just want to be Evelyn's friend. She's amazing. <laughs> yeah, who knows what the future, but she's just doing outstanding things, and she's just one of those people you just you have to support, you feel like you have to just support everything she's doing.
0: <laughs> I hear that. Uh and chef like what was your because of, I mean that if that message fell into your to your spam um, <laughs> how did you, how did you root through that and eventually discover that someone was that they were reaching out to you to um, to be part of the class of uh, the 2018 class for for Black F&B? Yeah,
2: I, I don't know what happened to that original message because, because I'm actually pretty well known for being very, very responsive. You know, mm-hmm. whether someone e- emails me, calls me, writes to me, you know, people reach out to me all the time and you know, I have I have to find some time, you know, out of my, my schedule, you know, to uh to reach back, you know, so um but so I I think we finally connected at a at a different event. Um um, most of the people who Angela interviewed for her event were speaking on a panel that I was also speaking at, actually at the culinary school where I graduated and uh, that was during Black History Month. And She was, you know, she was so uh, gracious and uh, awesome and amazing you know, when you meet Angela, I feel exactly the, the same way. When you meet her, you just fall in love with her immediately. She's got this big bright smile that just lights up the room. Um, and, you know, she went down a line shaking everybody's hand. And I think we, we must have spoken after that. And then I went and, you know, tried to, you know, uh, find the, the email that, that she had sent to me. And I was like, listen, don't even use that email. Here's my personal email. Reach out to me anytime you want. And, and she did. And we eventually connected. She came over to the restaurant and, you know, she was just a ball of energy. When I first met her, she was a ball of energy and she was a- about to give birth, probably like within <laughs> a month, I think, Angela, right? Yeah, you know? and she was just a couple
1: of weeks away, yeah. Oh,
2: wow. Yeah, she, she was just, you know, she was just bouncing all over the place. Yeah, and, that, uh, yes. you know. Around, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and uh, so when she came over to the um to the restaurant. There had been a long day. We were closing, you know, one of our busier days, which was on a Sunday, I believe. And, uh, you know, so we were closing up, you know, just as she was coming in and she was just, you know, don't mind me. And she was just all over the place taking pictures, looking, observing, and, you know, just being just Angela, you know, which is just, you know, she's just an awesome human being. Um, so, who I, you know, absolutely love and adore. And we are probably going to
0: collaborate on some. Uh, some things in the in the future. And one thing that really stuck out to me is the idea that you chose to not only open your restaurant in an underserved neighborhood, but you own the building like you own the, right. you own the space. And why, why was that important to you? Cause I talk to people a lot especially entrepreneurs and people who work in food, um, that at some point as your business grows, ownership is everything. Like, you know, most people learn eventually like McDonald's is a game of real estate, not necessarily a game of food. And so right. ownership is, is just as important as what you're doing out of this space. And so um, in order to keep uh, gentrification um, at a pace that is doable for the neighborhood and to allow other black owned businesses to kind of take notice and go, OK, we can kind of all own, you know, own the block, uh, so to speak. So what was why? Why was it so important for you to own the space um, that the restaurants in?
2: Well, you know, it was important for a couple of reasons, but I think, well, because, you know, real estate is also an investment, you know, so, and I think, you know, um, you know, when you first start uh, to consider going into business for yourself, you know, people always tell you to kind of try to minimize your your risk. So for me, you know, owning the space uh, was a means. Uh, a means by which I could potentially minimize my risk because we know that the restaurant business can be pretty risky. Right, so right. It's, it's risky in and of itself, right. and now so that so then I, I make it you know doubly risky by going into an <laughs> underserved <laughs> community, you know, uh, because you know just being risky isn't enough for me. It's got to be riskier.
0: Yeah. So oh,
2: yeah. Uh, right, you know. So uh, so you know, my thinking was you know, if, if things don't work out exactly the way I planned you know, then at least I have, you know, this building uh, that I can sell and recoup uh, most of, if not all of, you know, and maybe even some profit, you know, of my initial investment. So, you know, when you're making that type of, you know, capital investment, because uh, rest- restaurants eat money, you know, people eat food, restaurants eat money. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I tell people that all the time, you know, so you have to be really, really careful. You know, if you're going to invest, You know, a quarter of a million dollars, you know, into something, you know, and it doesn't work out. You want to make sure that you have something that you can, you know, uh, walk away uh, with. You know, you don't want to just walk away from your uh, investment if it doesn't go the way you planned. You want to walk away with something. And so this was my way of kind of uh, ensuring that, you know, that that would happen. So because even though it's an underserved community, it is also a developing community. Right. So uh, hopefully this will have been you know, a really smart idea um, mm. at the end of the day. So, you know, that's left to be seen. Uh, <laughs> I didn't still question myself, like, this was either really smart or really stupid. I'm not <laughs> sure which one, but, uh, <laughs> we, but we will see. So Right. Uh, so,
0: so that's why. Okay. I mean, a, a couple of my conversations so far with other, um, with other women have definitely come into the, into this particular talking point. And it's really about how do we assist and support each other? Um, there's a, it's a, it's just this interesting phenomenon for me to watch, uh, the black community kind of invest their dollars into, other neighborhoods and other communities so quickly. And then um, when it comes to their own neighborhoods and their own communities, there is a tremendous amount of skepticism and there's like a lack of trust. And you have to really put down roots in a neighborhood for them to like trust that you're going to be there and that you're not going to abandon ship. And then they kind of start to, um, And put their dollars there because you'll get people from outside of the neighborhood coming into a store, into a restaurant uh, before you get the ones in that neighborhood uh, to do it. And so the question I've been asking is, and this is for both of you, is what. What needs to change? What part, what, what part of the conversation needs to change within the African American community um, at large to get us to trust each other more when it comes to this space, to the space in the spaces of like business and entrepreneurship and commerce and um, enterprise? Angela, you want to take that?
1: Ooh, well, I'll start off by saying that I think we need to be in. You know, both of those spaces, we do need to be in our communities. We also need to be outside of our communities. It's very important as well. You know, um, one of our first interviews was with Eldridge Williams of the Delta and his restaurant is located north and it's in Wicker Park. It's a very, you know, very Uh, up and coming type of neighborhood, a lot of hipsters, if you will. But there there are a lot of different restaurants, some really big name chefs that have a presence there. And he's one of the few Black owners in that neighborhood. And it's just important for folks to realize that, um, hey, we're here too. You know, we're here, we're there. We're everywhere. We're in both places. So I I think there's value um, from both sides, but you're absolutely right. We 100% have to support our communities first. And, you know, even if you do have a restaurant outside of our neighborhoods, just make sure you're reaching back for your, your employees, reaching back to mentor up and coming chefs, children, um, there, there's so many ways that you can still be connected with our community, even if your physical building isn't there. So um, I just think that it's important to really know what your intention is with the business that you create and make sure that you're including community in that. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I I agree. I agree with uh, with Angela that it's okay to have a presence uh in both spaces, you know, but, you know, um, you know, I am also from a generation where, you know, when I was a kid, everything in our neighborhood was uh, black owned. So, you know, and um, you know, so in Chicago, you know, in and of itself, you know, is a very segregated uh city, you know, but you know, segregation you know, in the 60s and the 70s uh, was very advantageous to us. It, it forced us, you know, to own the, the corner store. Mm. It forced us to own, you know, the, the restaurant, the meat market, you yeah. know, the grocery store, the shoe shop, the, the record shop. You know, it, it forced, you know, a kind of uh, entrepreneurial uh, spirit that we've since gotten away from. So, uh, so it's, you know, it's important to me and it was important to me when I opened in that particular community, uh, because Chicago, you know, has, uh, has taken some hits, you know, in the media, you know, regarding, you know, crime and violence and, you know, uh, you can't go to the South Side, you can't do this. You know, I live on the South Side. I was born and raised on the South Side and I don't, you know, um, you know, see Chicago through, you know, that, that kind of lens because, you know, I'm not afraid to live in my community, I'm not afraid to work in my community, I'm not afraid to hire, you know, within my community, you know, and so this is just one way of, you know, saying to other entrepreneurs, you know, as well, you know, you can open in an underserved community, you know, and, you know, still have some some measure of success, you know, and, you know, and help grow and develop, you know, these, these uh, communities
0: economically. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting that, you know, because both, both are definitely important. Occupation in both spaces is definitely important because people don't understand that um, diversity doesn't equal inclusion all the time. And so you have to build a space and include yourself a lot of the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, in these conversations around like food, I've de- we've definitely been talking about, you know, The presence of African-Americans in fine dining Um, and specifically, it's always an area that's interesting to me because there is such a a dominant voice in that particular type of restaurant with that particular type of cuisine. And our voices are are, just tend not to be heard because of the fact that they don't associate um, African-American cuisine and African cuisine with fine dining, with elevated dining. And I loved how you phrased your, um, the description that is the way it's phrased for your, your food is that it's elevated comfort food, because I think all cuisine can be elevated to a place of fine dining. It's not so much that the, the cuisine isn't there. I think it's how we are framing, you know, what we do, uh, as, as black people in the kitchen, um, some of it is from you know how we self market and others other times it's how you know the world the the the, I, the world perceives what we do and um, you right. know i know as a chef you know i've always been kind of pigeonholed into that kind of oh so you do like soul food or southern cooking or you know it's it's never the assumption is never to the you know to anything else and so right. um I know when you start to kind of get into these conversations about making sure that we exist in both spaces, you know, a lot of it is, okay, what is your, what are your diners going to eat? It's, you know, it's not so much even, okay, what color is the chef? It's just what's going to be accepted into a specific neighborhood. So I know like, you know, there are chefs, black chefs who are opening restaurants in kind of non, uh, non-black non and brown neighborhoods and they tend to find that their successes are bigger when they essentially uh, succumb to kind of like this idea of serving Southern food because it's the thing that people relate most with them. So for me, like as a chef in, who's been working so long in this industry... I know you only serve this particular type of meal on Sundays. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, and I know people are have probably asked like, well, why? And can we get this more frequently? And outside of it being labor intensive, um, what was your thinking behind that? Was it a way for you to kind of uh, help people rethink how... You know what cuisine Black people serve in the, in restaurants that are helmed by them, or was it just more about because of the neighborhood and introducing people to new food uh, and different types of of products and menus and recipes?
2: Well, a, a little bit of both, um, I guess. And yeah, you know if if you if you're Black and you're stuff, people, automatically assume that that you know that you're doing soul food. Uh, or, you know, so, and it, I I didn't want to get into that, you know, because they never assume that when you go to one of the top culinary schools in the, the country, you know, that you learn the same, um, lessons that everybody else has. Right, right. You're like, yeah. I'm like,
0: I'm classically you know? French trained. I went to culinary school. Right. I mean, what do you want me to do? Exactly.
2: Exactly. So, and the French eat fried chicken too. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you know, if you if you do Southern kind of cooking the right way, it is extremely labor intensive, you know, so, and uh, you, I, I think you would have to have a pretty big operation in order to pull it off and pull it off uh, correctly on a regular yeah. basis. Definitely. So, uh, which is what I try to convey to people. And yeah, they, you know, they, every single day they call and say, you got some macaroni and cheese, you got some greens, nope, we only oh, have it on Sunday. Okay. Well, why do you only do it on Sundays? Because (laughs) we do it right, you know, so, and we want to continue to do it right. And a lot of the restaurants that, you know, call themselves or consider themselves, you know, soul food restaurants, you know, I think about, you know, the third or fourth week that they open, they realize, okay, this is a lot of work, so now we have to take a few shortcuts in order to pull it off. We don't do that. We don't take shortcuts we pull it off every single Sunday and we do it flawlessly because we've assigned that day to that, you know, uh, to invest that type of labor in, uh, because we, we know, you know, what's required in order to, you know, fill those 50 pounds of sweet potatoes and, you know, clean those, you know, 30 pounds of green
0: (laughs) every (laughs) single week. I'm like, your prep prep list looks real different on Saturday nights than it probably does the rest of the week. You're just like, y'all, exactly. yeah the exactly. mise en place is really different right now so exactly uh, yeah
2: exactly oh
0: wow so now, so, uh, so for your for your cooks that are on the line the your the your chefs that are in your brigade um what what is that what does that staff look like and how are you like choosing and um uh, hiring for for talent in your kitchen right now
2: you know we're, we're pretty flexible I have a, a chef manager you know who is Classically trained, and uh, she kind of oversees uh, the cooks in the kitchen. And so we we've, we've had all manner you know, of cooks and levels of experience uh, in our kitchen, because we also work, you know, with programs, uh, culinary, you know, training programs through, uh, for example, uh, agencies, social service agencies that that have, you know, maybe a 14 or 16 week culinary program, and they need somewhere to place their uh, their interns. So, you know, we bring those interns in and we're happy to work with them. And, you know, we're happy to teach and, and train. And, you know, if we teach them, you know, well enough, you know, then we get to, to hire them directly into the, the kitchen. You know, so uh, and I, I've done that on uh, many occasions. So we hire people who are, you know, experienced culinarians, but you don't have to be, you know. So if you are just, you know, passionate about this, uh, this industry, and uh, and that, that shines through. You know, people who are passionate about you know food service are you know a little left of center, um, and you know, and that that shines through uh, brightly. You know, as opposed to somebody who's just looking for a job. You know, so um, and so yeah. So we you know we're we're open to bringing people in. You know, until very recently, uh, my lead cook was somebody who I hired uh, directly out of high school. Oh, wow. uh, she had been in. Uh-huh, she had been in uh, a culinary training program since she was in eighth grade, and uh, actually met her by uh, judging um, uh, a food competition uh, that she took home the gold in two years in a row. Wow! You know, so uh, and I, yeah, and I told her, so when you graduate from from school, you know, if you're looking for something, you know, give me a call. Mm-hmm. And she did and immediately, and uh, you know, brought her in, you know, taught her some stuff. She was able to, you know, open uh, the kitchen, close the kitchen, and do every single job, you know, within the kitchen within one year of working with us. So, um, but you know, fortunately for her, you know, she's gone on to a bigger position, you know, which is our goal. You know, it's like we want to bring you in, want to teach you, want to train you, we want to see you move up, you know, and then you know start hiring people yourself, you know. So, um, so that plan worked out uh, okay. swimmingly. And so now I have, you know, staff who, you know, we've hired out of uh, some of these culinary training programs who are doing very well. You know, and we have a bunch of interns in our uh, restaurant uh, through the city uh, summer job program. Mm. So they're learning some basic, you know, culinary skills and training and they're doing very well.
0: I love it. I mean, people don't understand how important those programs are for Mm -hmm. cultivating all levels of culinary talent and especially in underserved neighborhoods where kids just don't see that level of representation. It's kind of like, well, it's important that, you know, you go in there and you make sure that you tell them what they're doing is important and necessary Um, because when, you know, these restaurants A lot of the the restaurants that are essentially the um, like Pantheon restaurants in this in this country at this point, you know, those those things are kind of just passed down to the next sous chef and to the next line cook. And it's, you know, you keep a line of talent running through these restaurants. I think that's just definitely part of the routine that black owned businesses need to get into in general is like making thinking generationally. So it's just, just incredible work. Um, Miss yeah. Ange- Angela, my question to you is what is your process for cultivating the list? Um, you know, how did you go about that first, that first class of people? And, um, you know, was it just, you know, what was coming to you and what was available or was it something that you were like procuring very carefully? And, um, you know, when you got into round two, like how did that process change or grow? Yeah, well, you know, I
1: had the idea for BFB in my head for a good year plus before I actually made any moves on it. So when I had a feeling this is something that I wanted to actually do, I just started paying attention more to, to folks and building my spreadsheet. i I'm definitely a spreadsheet kind of person. So just starting with the spreadsheet, plugging in articles, plugging in names, things like that. So um, the first iteration of it, I collaborated with Alicia Summers. And so, you know, together we basically decided who we would choose from that spreadsheet. And the second round, um, you know, maybe some one or two of the names from that first round who maybe we couldn't connect with our emails went into spam or whatever it may be. Uh, only a couple of them bumped to the second uh, iteration of it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those names were just new folks who um, I came across over the the months in between. It had been about a year difference. So The process is very easy. I just reach out to the people I'm interested in reaching out to. Um, It's a one woman show. So I have a capacity basically where I can interview only so many people in each round because there's an interview, there's the photo shoot. It all goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. This second round, we, we, I, I I say we. It's me. <laughs> we covered. We covered um, some folks outside of Chicago, which had been a goal of mine to expand outside of Chicago. Um, and for that, those folks were able to provide photos. So it was phone conversation, and they sent me the photos. Um, and then you know you go and transcribe your interview, and I just start writing. So. Um, I think I have a process, but, you know, those types of things change all the time. I'm always looking for ways to improve. This first round, I had no kids. Second round, I had a kid. So (laughs) I have to adjust with things like that, you know, scheduling my interviews, scheduling a babysitter, all of that stuff uh, comes into the equation. But, um, yeah, it's just really about, I try to connect with people that you may not hear about regularly and folks whose stories deserve to be told right so that's always the goal and yeah i just hope to continue doing that for as long as possible <laughs>
0: So, how does this work? The, the work you're doing currently, um, how does it look different than what you were doing as far as marketing? How did that change? How did that shift or change? Or how does it? I guess how do the two of them integrate at this point?
1: Yeah, well, the transferable skill is the storytelling part, which is a big part of marketing and public relations. Um, and my background is pretty much working with small and mid-sized companies, so. Um, you know, I have a lot of experience with being scrappy and I really got started during the economic downturn. So it was during a time when, uh, restaurants and restaurant groups and private chefs, things like that, these people didn't really have the budget for marketing. So I had to learn how to be scrappy and basically, um, do all of it on my own. I, myself illustrator I taught myself you know how to build a website these types of things and so when it came to black food and beverage, I pretty much built the site myself and I already knew how to do a lot of different things I taught myself photography Alicia did the photography for the first round so those are her beautiful images for everyone in that first group and a lot of folks have used her photos throughout but, um, you know, I've been able to shoot food for some clients and these are just things that I taught myself out of necessities. So, um, when you start a project like this, a passion project, you really do have to, uh, pull on those things that, that you learn yourself, you know, whatever it is you want to A lot of times you don't have money to dish out to hire a web developer. So oh, I you, understand that
0: completely. You know, you get it. You get it. <laughs> so yeah. you, know, you just,
1: you learn how to do it, you learn along the way and you make improvements as needed.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I'm, with every idea that comes along, it's funny, my process starts at this point in life, it starts with building a website. like my, uh, before I got into food, I was in uh, marketing and graphic design for 10 years. And mm-hmm. so whenever I have an idea, like the first thing I'll do is build a website around the idea to see if it actually has legs. Like that's my litmus test for it. And, um, so yeah, I've definitely gotten to that point where it's just like, all right, we're going to do this. So I have to do all of the things and that's okay because it's a tremendous skill set to continue to build on. But yeah, I absolutely understand like Built, built working a project that you know you love and that is it, you know fills your heart and so you just you don't mind putting in the hours to um to do what's necessary in order to get it to move in the direction in which you want it to go. Now you mentioned uh, earlier that you've kind of moved or shifted into more of a storytelling space. Like that's a bit more of a central component to how you're growing uh, your brand and how you're growing this idea. So was there a specific interview or did you just noticed a trend as you continue to talk to more and more people where you wanted to kind of dip a bit, more or deep dive a bit more into storytelling or into the storytelling uh, side of this project
1: you know I think it 's just about reflecting on my life, the things that i 'm doing, the work that i 'm doing every day, and it 's about fulfillment, and I really had to take a look at it and see um, was I being fulfilled by marketing by su- yes, supporting small businesses, but it 's definitely a grind and a hustle. To acquire new clients consistently, Um, and you know, since becoming a mom, priorities have changed, and it's very difficult for me to be able to um, kind of get out there and be there for clients in a way that they needed. Also, um I just really enjoy telling these stories, and more stories need to be told so um I've always been interested in writing, so that's a direction that I'm going in more now uh more food writing, more uh, storytelling about just black folks and food. So, so yeah, I'm not sure if it's just going to be the food writing or if it will expand into multimedia kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm I'm just pretty open right now and so wherever it takes me.
0: I love that. I love that. I mean, I've worked, I've been in food for probably about, Seventeen years now, like actively cooking and not necessarily doing anything else. And in the last couple of years, I've made that same transition myself, where mm-hmm. I've gotten more into food writing and food media. And because I love the storytelling aspect of it, and I I've re- realized like there is a a lack of certain stories in the um, uh, in these spaces. And so you know, you start to I remember loving the Food Network and like the Cooking Channel and stuff when they first started. Mm-hmm. And then realizing as we went along that they be, they became more homogenous and uh, the stories were almost identical and the recipes were really similar and so it just made me sad. I was just like, well, if you would if you would venture into some other some other cultures, you'd probably find some more interesting stories again. And so I've kind of leaned leaned in quite a bit to that. So, um, I absolutely understand like the, the draw because you kind of see you're, I know there's like, you see a need to, you're like, you know, I think people who work in marketing in any capacity are problem solvers by nature. And if you love food, you definitely are a problem solver. And so when you see a gap or a hole somewhere and you're just kind of like that, that's a problem that needs to be solved. I need to like, what can I do to contribute to a solution there? So I definitely understand that.
1: It's true, and it was very frustrating for me uh, in PR. You know, I'm supporting a small business who that may be located in a neighborhood that's not considered uh, the sparkly, shiny new neighborhood with all the fancy restaurants. Therefore, it's very difficult for me to get coverage for that client, and that's that's an issue. It shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't be hearing about the same what. 10 or 12 chefs right. places over and over again. And I just got tired of it. So what do you do? You just create your own platform. If you're not seeing what
0: you're looking for, you create your own absolutely agree. I think that's where a lot of things have come to in the culture is that if you don't see it, you do have to now create it yourself. Mm
2: -hmm. And,
0: um, so yeah, it's, I absolutely understand. (laughs) Like I have now I'm like, now I have to go hard and I'm slightly obsessed with this entire idea, but, um, you know, it's, it's so necessary and I kind of, you can get easily sidetracked to in like dipping your hands in other things. So definitely finding a focus, um, is Um, I totally get that. And I appreciate the fact that you just went ahead and just dove head head first into the entire process. So, um, you know, we definitely need platforms and voices like like Black food and beverage. because. Well, I only
1: say that just to encourage other folks. Yes,
0: exactly.
1: um, I'm not doing anything that's, you know, especially um, unique. It's something that anyone can do. I use Squarespace to build my site. And I just tell the story that's it, and anyone can do that. And we need more folks to do that. So, if you know, yeah, um, my inspires anyone to create their own other cultures, our culture, whatever, please do it
0: because we need more of those types of things. Absolutely, I think volume is everything right now. So, it's like the more we well, get a- into the market, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: And I think too that, you know, uh, Angela does what she does, you know, so uniquely well. You know, she is, you know, so she's, you know, she's she's just making it seem like anybody can do it, but not anybody can do it. So,
0: you
2: know, first of all, you have to be a a very good storyteller, you know, and Angela is one of the best storytellers. You know, she should, um, you know, uh, she, you know, she writes beautifully you know you are drawn in from the first you know couple of sentences you know and uh, and then she takes you somewhere she takes you on this you know this journey you know and it just happens to be in a space you know for me you know that i love so i love 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 you know uh the first um um you know, publication of S&B uh, and um, Black ethnic food and beverage. And, you know, the second one it's like, you know, you get drawn into these, you know, these stories, you know, but that's because of the storytelling and the storyteller, you know. So uh, so she does an amazing job with that. And, uh, you know, and as, the you know, Portia, you know, Portia Wilson is you mm-hmm. know, also uh, awesome. Uh, with storytelling. So so we need more of you guys, you know, telling, you know, our Absolutely. stories. We need more of you guys collectively, you know, telling our stories. And then we have to figure out ways to, you know, collaborate so that we create our own uh, Black food network.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, it's, um, you know, and, and put information out there that, you know, that, that, that simply, you know, that quite simply isn't. Because I agree with you. I was, you know, really wrapped up in uh, the Food Network when they first, you know, started. You know, everything was so different and so, you know, unique. And now everything is pretty much a repeat of the last thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, and because there's, you know, not a lot of, you know, cultural um (laughs) expression so to speak yes (laughs) so uh so uh so yeah so you know so there's more evolving you know that needs to happen and it actually starts with you know what's exactly precisely you know what you ladies are doing um which brings attention you know to the rest
0: of us absolutely absolutely well thank you both thank you thank you i mean I, you know on that vein um you know what is cuz i always like to talk about you know solutions that are working and things that are out there to be excited about so um this question is for both of you like what have you seen of the industry or within the industry that you are excited about that you are looking forward to that you want to see more of outside of us you know creating more spaces in media for our voices and our stories um you know who are you what are you reading right now and who are you following what chefs are you excited about or you know um you know people who are working in food and beverage like in hospitality like what what are you kind of sinking your teeth into right now um Angela
1: well here locally uh Chicago Tribune the food section their editor is a black woman charde Carpenter she just led an entire month of food coverage on the south side and not just the South Side generally, but Black South Side specifically. And the fact that she did that for such a large publication, that means something. And so for an entire month, they had coverage on Black South Side Chicago. And it was different articles and different aspects of the food scene and the food culture, but very well done. And everyone should really take a look at it.
0: Wow. Okay. wow! okay, I know. I'm like now. I need to. Okay, I need to go get online and find me a digital subscription or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, oh, oh, wow! And uh, for how about you, Chef? Um, you yeah, know,
2: I think what excites me about the the food industry is you know that there are just so many opportunities. to to do so many different things, you know, within the space, Um, you know, so, you know, I talked to to some friends, you know, who are in the the business and who have been in in the business for years and, you know, and who really struggled uh, when they first started, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, who are now like, you know, very supportive, very encouraging, you know, always. Um, you know, encouraging us to take advantage of, you know, all of the opportunities that are available today that were not available maybe even, you know, five, six, seven years ago, you know, like the, um, um, you know, the Fudas and, you know, the Uber Eats and, you mm-hmm. know, things of that nature, you know, which can bring uh, a, an additional revenue source, you know, into your business, you know, and, and keep you afloat. Um, so I'm excited about that. You know, I'm excited about uh, something that I learned recently uh, with Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, Insurance Company. You know, they have um, a sector uh, called Blue Cross Blue Shield Institute, Hmm. uh, which is headed up up by an African-American doctor, uh, Dr. Trent Haywood. And so they have been exploring uh, and actually launched a pilot program this past February uh, to bring healthier food options to underserved communities. Oh that's incredible. And that's something that is incredible. That's something mm-hmm. that you've never heard, you know, of an insurance company doing. Exactly. Um so uh so I'm excited about uh about that and uh the potential um that, that has, you know, to change the way uh you know food is viewed and how we eat, you know, and um you know, and and actually could change health
0: outcomes, uh as well, you know, within our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. It's because there's just so many people who don't. It's. I still talk about food deserts a lot when I'm in discussion with people and the uh, and food inequality and things like that. And most people still are just like, what are you? Huh? Yeah, Really? And I'm like, yeah. you, do, you don't know that, huh? That there isn't a grocery store within five miles of someone's home. And um, there is no fresh produce. And the closest thing to a grocery store is the liquor store on the corner. And like that people still live like that. And it's still very su- Surprises so many people that, that still exist. And um, yeah. so, yeah, awareness as well as solutions for me are kind of where we're at. And definitely this this marriage and trend of tech and food um, is is definitely something exciting to watch. I think we're moving into a space where those two things just pair together all the time. Yeah. So, you know, you're just, most people are not going to necessarily eat out nearly as much as they used to. Um, And for a number of reasons, I mean, some, you just see that trend, that trend of like dining out and then people start to kind of go inward again and then they're back out in the, you know, back out hitting restaurants really hard. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on, on who's coming up next. And you guys, what was it? Uber Eats and Postmates and and everybody else. It's like, who's the next iteration of, of a food delivery service and what will they do and bring to the table? So definitely excited about all of that stuff. Um, Before I guess my final for these final few minutes, because that hour flew by, um, what can we and, you know, I've asked this of everyone, like, what can we as a community of listeners, how can we support you in um, what you're doing and uh, what should we be looking forward to and um, and, you know where can we put our energy or our dollars or whatever it is in order to see your vision and your purpose uh, kind of explode into a global space and, um, and get it in front of people. So I can start with Angela.
1: Yeah. Well uh, follow us on all of the socials at black FNB and be sure to check out our website at blackfmb.com. But also read the stories of the folks that we feature. And once you do that, support their businesses because that's the second part of it. So um, if you share their stories, if you follow their website, sign up for their newsletters as well. And then also maybe pop into their restaurants or download their app or whatever it may be, but just find a way to support
0: them.
2: Yeah, I agree. You know, right. so uh, check us out on social media. And uh, you know, if you're in, in Chicago, you know, stop by the restaurant. Um, you know, buy a meal, support a Black business. Absolutely. Um, what are your you know, hours? We, have, um, we are open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday okay. from noon until 6 p.m and Sundays from 11.30 until 5. Okay. Uh, Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, we're close to the public because we only do pop-up lunches um, on those days. And uh, we're actually thinking about extending our hours uh, by the end of the summer uh, as we're also seeking a liquor license. Ooh, okay.
0: and, uh, Nice. Yeah. So, All right. so and now the uh, how does one um participate in a pop up lunch? Uh <laughs> like is there a sign up sheet and <laughs> can be a part of that? Yeah, so
2: they for the most part they're they're kind of private because FUDA partners with these uh companies um uh, to provide to connect them with uh restaurants and caterers to provide uh lunches on site um at these um, corporations gotcha. uh, Monday through Friday. But we are in the process of updating our uh, website. And once it's completed, we will put our pop-up schedules online. So if we pop up someplace, you know, like uh, Willis Tower, you know, that's open to the public, you know, then people can, you know, come in and, and find us there.
0: Oh, right. well, perfect. Well, ladies, thank you again for joining me on a call. i Appreciate all the information and the inspiration and um, ladies and gentlemen, you've heard, you've heard the instructions. Now go do it follow the people, (laughs) get on the social media, do all the things to support these ladies. Um, because if we don't support them, you know, for me at this point, who will, like we are responsible to our to and for our community and for the people who are doing the work to make sure that our stories are being told and being heard. So thank you again. Mm -hmm. And, um, absolutely. I'll make sure we get all of this information. Um, on the website. So definitely if you need to know where to go find them, you can either listen to the podcast a second time and write it down or you can go to the website and find it there. So, um, but yes, thank you so much, and you ladies enjoy the rest of your night. Um, and we will definitely be catching up with you all very soon. I definitely plan on doing kind of a, a catch up episode where we kind of talk about where everybody is um, since the first since our first conversation. So I look forward to seeing where how things grow um, in the next in the coming years. So thank you again. Thank you for listening in on this week's conversation with Chef Evelyn Shelton and Angela Burke. I'm excited to have joined our community of thoughtful, ambitious, and informed listeners. I love to share the stories and experiences of inspiring and passionate people. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to leave a comment. I'd love to hear your feedback. Listen to the Afrozen Knives podcast on iTunes, Anchor, Google Podcast, and Spotify. New episodes are available every Tuesday. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you again for listening, and we'll talk again next week.